It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hi there, everybody. It's a glorious, happy edition of Rico Bronia, a far cry from the crappy mood we were all in four days ago. We're all in a good mood because if you root for a New York football team, you're either 2-0, thinking that Brian Dable is the greatest head coach of all time, or receipts are about to be cashed in. Nah, I'm kidding. Baldy has a long way to go before he's cashing any receipts. But I'll say this, and obviously Craig and I will talk a lot more on Monday, uh, 2-7, to Carton Roberts. But it's about freaking time that this football team wins a game that they would have lost for the last 50 years. That feels good. Now let's get to the Mets. They needed to do what they just did. Now let's, let's be perfectly honest about it. After they got swept by the Chicago Cubs and I was starting to panic and Hoff was, you know, sort of starting to panic, we were all very nervous to different degrees. We looked at these four games against the Pirates, a crappy Pirate team, and said, you got to kill them. You got to annihilate them. Now, I wouldn't say the Mets annihilated them. There were certainly some stressful moments. Uh, Certainly the Sunday game when Jacob DeGrom gives up the three-run home run to O'Neal Cruz was a little bit stressful. When they had a 4-0 lead that turned into a 4-3 game, and Edwin Diaz is holding on for dear life. It was actually a 4-1 game that turned into a 4-3 game. The Saturday game was a little nerve-wracking. But here's the bottom line. We looked at these four games against Pittsburgh and said, three out of four ain't good enough. You got to sweep them. And they did. And they played 36 innings this weekend Never trailed, never, ever trailed, which is great because I think they trailed every inning of the Cubs series. I don't know if there was an inning where the Mets actually had a lead in the three-game sweep. I don't think they did, but they led for 32 of the 36 innings. There were some stressful moments. I don't think we all feel super confident in the offense because despite the fact that they scored a healthy amount of runs over these four games, they still sort of lack the consistent big hit. And look, I don't want to sit here nitpicking for 45 minutes because here's the reality. None of that crap matters. What happened on Saturday doesn't matter when they're in Milwaukee. What happened on Sunday doesn't matter on Wednesday in Milwaukee. So it is irrelevant how they won games. I'm just saying I think our feeling probably is, hey, it could have been better. They had 52 at-bats over these four games with runners in scoring position. And they went 11 for 52. And I don't need to do the math for you. You don't need to whip out your calculator. I think we all know that's just not good enough. Did they get big hits? Sure. Eduardo Escobar at the three-run home run on Saturday. Daniel Vogelback really broke out, which was encouraging. But there were a lot of moments in these four games. And we'll go through a little bit more specifically these games. There were moments where they lacked that big hit. And they also were very fortunate because they had not one, not two, not three, but four plate appearances in this four-game series in which they drove a run in on either a walk or a batsman. Now, obviously, drawing a walk is a good thing, and sometimes the hitter deserves credit for drawing a walk, so I don't want to minimize it, but there were four sequences in which that's how the Mets scored their runs, on bases loaded walks or earlier in this series when Pete Alonso got hit by a pitch with the bases loaded. He was not bitching about that hit-by-pitch, which we'll also get into because there was a chance on Sunday with very few people watching, with the main focus being on football, that the Mets were finally going to get into a fight because of the amount of times they got hit by pitches. Um, Look, my only point to all this is as they play the Brewers, a much more 
difficult team, a potential playoff team, a team that handled the New York Yankees over the weekend. Give the Brewers credit. Every game is big for them, and they won two out of three against the first-place team. But as the Mets play Milwaukee, and then obviously the showdown in two weeks with Atlanta, they got to clean this crap up. That's really what it comes down to. When you play a bad baseball team, you're going to be able to make some mistakes, not have the greatest at-bats in the world, and overcome it. And there were times in this series where they did that. With that said, they won four consecutive games. It is not easy to sweep a four-game series, and they did it. And that was very, very necessary. You go back to the opener of this series, I thought the biggest at-bat they had was, remember, they're coming on a three-game losing streak. We're all panicking. We're all worried. The Mets are now a front-page story for negative reasons because there's worry after being swept by the Chicago Cubs. And that first inning, I thought, really set the tone for this series. Because one thing that's been going on for a while now is that rally in the first inning that goes nowhere. We've seen that a lot, where the Mets will put guys on base in the first inning, it'll go nowhere, and then the offense will die. So opener of this series, there are two outs and nobody on. Looks like nothing's happening against the immortal JT Brubaker, and they slowly start a little two-out rally. Jeff McNeil gets a single, Pete Alonso gets a blue pit, And then you had Daniel Vogelback, who finally started hearing boos a day before this and rips, smokes that two-run double. And I think, and I don't know, this is speculative, but I think as a fan, maybe we read it for ourselves and think this is the way the players are going to feel. But a hit like that has to relax you. I think it relaxed me a little bit because, like I mentioned, they never led in that series against the Cubs. So right out of the gate, boom. To get a two-run double by Daniel Vogel back, immediately take a 2 nothing lead. It made me relax as I'm sitting there at City Field on that Thursday night. I was in the building that night, me and uh, about 13 other people. I'm not going to take too many shots at the Met attendance because two things. Number one, I've noticed that my fellow Met fan is very sensitive about the Met attendance. I put out a picture from Thursday night um, with the crowd. That's all I did, just a picture of the crowd. I said, Pennant Rays Baseball. And half the people were pissed at me. Like, oh, what, are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? I'm not saying anything. I'm giving you a picture of the crowd saying pennant raise baseball. Draw your own conclusion. I even had one guy, and I hope this guy's listening right now because this really hurt my feelings. And it takes a lot to hurt my feelings on Twitter. You could say whatever you want, usually won't. Pete, this really hurt my feelings. You know what this guy said to me? Son of a bitch. I mean, what, I'm, is something about the, your no, hair? No, no, no. You could insult what oh. I look like. You could say I'm terrible on the radio. Like None of that stuff would bother me. He impugned my integrity. That's what bothered me. The guy said to me, how dare you take a picture from 50 to an hour before first pitch? And I said, listen, jackass, I get off the air at 630. I took a train to City Field. <laughs> How am I giving you a picture from an hour before the game? The picture was from 7:10. It was 10 minutes before the game because it was the 7:21st pitch on Roberto Clemente night. This guy impugned my integrity like I'm out to get the Mets attendance. Why the hell would I be out to get the Mets attendance? That's so ridiculous. I, I, I listen. I mean, anybody that listens to you knows. You don't get off the air till six thirty, so I mean that's just outrageous. But I, I will say this though: to piggyback your frustration and not taking jabs, but the Mets fan has been dying for relevance for a long time. It's here, and they're not. Yeah, there. look, I, 
I, I will say this. They drew incredibly well on Saturday. There was 41,000 people Saturday night. Clearly, the Gary Cohen bobblehead is a big draw. And they actually did really well on Sunday. <laughs> Considering the Jets are playing, the Giants are playing, it's a Sunday afternoon in the fall. They announced 36,000 people. Now, Jake's on the mound, so you'd expect a big crowd. So I'm not knocking the crowds from Saturday and Sunday. But the midweek crowds were terrible. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. When they play postseason baseball this year, they're going to be packed crowds. That's, that's the bottom line. But, look, I think that hit by Vogelback relaxed me. What actually frustrated me is that Carrasco gave it right back. He gave up an RBI double in the second inning. I'm like, ah, here we go again. But Lindor hit a clutch two-run home run. It had been a while since Lindor had a big hit like that. And then really the rest of the night was cruise control because Carlos Carrasco was so good. We saw good cookie on Thursday night. Mark Vientos got his first major league hit, so that was nice to see. And it really set a positive tone for this series. It did. The other great thing was on Friday, seeing Taiwan Walker pitch as well as he did. Because now Taiwan Walker's responded with consecutive really good performances. He pitched into the eighth inning. I actually like that Buck pushed him. Buck Showalter, and he's done this a lot, where he'll push his starting pitcher. We just live in a world in which guys can't go eight innings. They just, they mostly can't. And it isn't necessarily because managers aren't allowing them to do it. Buck Showalter allowed Taiwan Walker to start the eighth inning with a four to one lead. So it wasn't eight to nothing. You know, it wasn't like game was out of reach. It was still a relatively close game. And he allowed him to pitch the eighth inning. And he allowed him to stay in the game to face the top of the order, the fourth time around the order, and face O'Neill Cruz. And what was surprising about it, but I didn't hate it. I want to make that clear. I'm not ripping Buck Showalter here because I like that he challenged Taiwan Walker. I think we're at the point of the season where you're going to challenge guys and, you know, when you play the Braves, you're going to make the safest moves possible. You're going to manage it like the postseason. When you're playing a quadruple-A team like the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think there's more wiggle room to challenge guys. We'll get to David Peterson out of the bullpen. That was sort of a a little challenge for David Peterson over the weekend. So he allows Taiwan Walker to face O'Neill Cruz. And let's not forget, in O'Neill Cruz's earlier at bat, he hit that ball to the warning track where Jeff McNeil made the leaping catch. That was O'Neill Cruz. So when you combine the fact that it's the eighth inning, Walker's right around 100 pitches, a little, little underneath that. I'd say about 96, 97. He's just given out a hit, given up a hit, and he's facing the order four time around, and he's facing a guy who almost did a home run against him. But I liked it. I like him at least saying, all right, Ty, go get him out. The problem is he didn't get him out. He didn't. But what Buck had in the back pocket was, I have a fresh Edwin Diaz. And I don't necessarily think Buck Showalter was managing Saturday night with this feeling of, I guess that was Friday night. I'm I'm getting these nights confused. Yeah, it was Friday night. It was game two of this series when Taiwan Walker pitched. I think he went to Edwin Diaz because he had arrested Edwin Diaz. Not necessarily that he was looking at that game as, oh my God, this is a must-win game. I'm looking for five outs from Edwin. I think he's been, you know, knowing when he's got a guy who's fresh like Diaz, I may as well use him for five outs. I'm not going to F around this game. I'm not going to, you know, walk around and try. And, and he could have used Adovino because Adovino hadn't pitched the previous night. So it wasn't as if Adam Adovino was tired or anything like that. I think it was more, I'm going to use Edwin Diaz. And look, Edwin wasn't that sharp. He gave up the line drive on the first pitch. And I think 
the book is out. Teams are attacking Edwin Diaz's first pitch. He pours in that first pitch strike so consistently, and you've noticed it last few appearances where teams are attacking right out of the gate. But he gets those final two outs of the eighth inning, and then a reminder on why Luis Guillerme is so valuable to this team because after Diaz issues that four-pitch walk, which was very concerning to start the ninth, nursing what's now only a 4-3 to three game because the Mets can't get a big hit, which was a problem on this game, and the fact that Walker gave up that two-run home run, he issues the four-pitch walk, and then not only do you get a great throw from Tomas Nito, but you grade the great defensive play by Guillerme blocking Greg Allen's ability to get the second base. And that's why Luis Guillerme is a nice little hitter, but he's in here for his glove. He's in here for his defense, or in this case, he's in here for his blocking ability. But that was a great, great play by Luis, and then Diaz was able to get the last two outs. So the third out was very, very scary. 0-2, Cal Mitchell hits one of the freaking warning track. But that was one of those games where if the Mets lose or if Diaz actually blows a save, which he hasn't done since May, but... You know, we're all nervous it's coming at some point. Very few guys complete perfect seasons. I know Brad Lidge did it many years ago, and Diaz hasn't blown a game since May. But the Mets missed out on so many opportunities to blow that game open. And I think that's what I was talking about earlier with their struggles with runners in scoring position that, okay, they get a home run from Daniel Vogelbach. They got a clutch RBI single from Nito early in the game. They built an early lead. But they had, I think it was... Second and third, nobody out. Bases loaded, two out. The sixth, they only scored one run. You look at the seventh inning. O'Neill Cruz makes a defensive miscue. They get the bloop by Brandon Nemo. But now you've got Lindor and you've got McNeil up with two men on and one out. They don't score. Then you go to the eighth inning. You get a walk from Bogleback. Pinch hit, pinch run extraordinaire. Terrence Gore comes into the game. Steals second, gets to third. You're all set up for an insurance run. And Mark Canna strikes out. So they won the game, we're all thrilled, but they missed out on so many opportunities. And I think that's the thing that, you know, was sort of frustrating, that they had a chance to blow that game open. But great job by Jeff McNeil in right field, too, making the leaping catch earlier in the game against O'Neill Cruz. That's part of the beauty of Jeff McNeil is that he is so solid. I don't want to say he's like great defensively. He's so solid defensively, no matter where you put him. And as good as he's been at second base this year, and he's had a great defensive year, Luis Guillermo's better. So when you stick him in right, and he still makes all the plays out there, nothing spectacular, but goes out and makes all the plays, you probably have your best defensive team out there until Marte comes back. That'll be interesting, though, when Marte does come back. And I think if he does, hopefully he does, when he comes back, here's what I'm considering. Here's what I'd really strongly consider. I'd strongly consider Eduardo Escobar being the DH. And that could mean less at-bats for Darren Ruff, Mark Fientos against lefties. And that could even mean lost at-bats for Daniel Vogelback because that could mean Guillerme plays third base, Jeff McNeil plays second base, Starling Marte plays right. Now, you got to play the matchups. Maybe you want to sit Guillerme against the lefty. But again, Guillerme's there for his glove. That's why he's out there. He's not out there because you think he's going to hit a bunch of home runs or drive in a bunch of runs. You expect quality at-bats from him. But he's mostly out there for his glove. Uh, The Saturday night game was the Bassett game. Great bounce back performance. You could feel that coming too from Chris. Because Bassett's earlier game against the Cubs on Monday was so un-Chris Bassett-like. And that's why none of us were going to kill him. Uh, How could we kill the guy? Guy's had such a solid year all year long. 
He comes out, gets an early double play, really goes into cruise control, pitches very, very well. It was a good performance by him. They get the home run by Eduardo Escobar, who continues to be red hot basically for the last month. And they're able to win a game fairly easily against the Pirates, 4-1. to one. I know the Pirates got a late run in that game against uh, David Peterson. But David Peterson was impressive. I don't know if it changes how maybe we all view David Peterson as an arm out of the bullpen. I know Hoff hates David Peterson. Doesn't ever want to see him out of the bullpen. It's weird. They go to him in the seventh inning of a 4 nothing game. So you can't say it's a blowout. But obviously, it's not a one-run game. And you're facing the Pittsburgh Pirates. But he did, but he pitched well. He pitched a 1-2-3-7th. He pitches a 1-2-3-8th. He strikes out three guys. He eventually gives up the home run to Rodolfo Castro. But that's after he got the first six outs. So I'll ask you, did it move you a little bit, seeing David Peterson come out of the pen and pitch well? I'm still concerned, and this is why. In a playoff situation, there is little... There are very minimal times there's a hot, that it's not a high-leverage situation. So, you're right. 4 nothing. it's not this huge lead, but it's still the Pirates. It's not, to me, a high-leverage situation. So, I still have doubt for him to be in the playoffs. He's going to get role. other opportunities in high-leverage spots before we get to October. Uh, it could be in this series against Milwaukee. It could be in the series against Oakland. I wonder if he'll do it against the Braves with some fearsome left-hand hitter, specifically a guy like Matt Olson. But we're going to see more of this because barring any kind of injury and and even injury, the Mets have so many off days coming up for the for the rest of the season that David Peterson is not making another start. Again, unless the Mets get ravaged by starting pitching injuries, knock on wood, David Peterson's only role now is coming out of the bullpen. And I think Buck's going to play around a little bit. He's going to play around a little bit with Tyler McGill, who's going to come back soon, and maybe even Joey Lucchese and Drew Smith. I mean, you've got all these guys coming back who are also sort of being experimented out of the bullpen. Like, Tyler McGill looked great in his early rehab performances, and then in his last two rehab performances didn't pitch well. Now, I don't know what we make of that. The truth is we should make nothing of it because until we see him do it at the major league level, good or bad, It's tough to really judge. I think you got to ask yourself this. And I know you don't necessarily have to use a lefty out of the bullpen. You could bring in a righty to get a tough lefty out. I I get that. Joely Rodriguez pitched great on Sunday in the finale of this series. We have to give him credit. Goes out there, two scoreless innings. I think he struck out five guys. A part of why the Mets basically set a record with the amount of times they struck out the Pittsburgh Pirates. Struck him out 20 times on Sunday. Certainly Jacob DeGrom had a lot to do with it. But so did Joely Rodriguez. Would you rather throw Joely in a high-leverage spot against a tough lefty, or would you th- rather throw David Peterson in a high-leverage spot against a tough lefty? The answer, of course, could be none of the above. <laughs> the The answer would be Adam Adovino. <laughs> Not against a lefty, you know. No, I, I, but out of those three at that point, I don't even know. It's all, no, all ribs. No, no, no. Adam Adovino's splits tell you you want him in the lane of facing right-handed hitters. It doesn't mean he can't get a lefty out, but ideally, you don't want Adam Adovino facing a slugging left-handed hitter in a big spot. You just don't. I like, though, that Buck threw him in there. I think we're always going to have that Yankee game as a taste in our mouth when Peterson came in with a two-run lead and promptly put a guy on base and then gave up the home run to Glaber Torres. I agree it's tough to make too much of it because it's the Pittsburgh Pirates, but we haven't seen the last of it. 
And I think we're going to see with the other guys too.